Hi, my name is Oscar and I'm joined by my colleague Kiera today. We are members of the Clark's legal data protection team. And on today's podcast, we'll be reviewing two things. Firstly, we'll be looking at the main developments in the UK data protection scene from 2022. And secondly, we'll look at what trends to look out for in 2023. I'd like to begin this podcast with a question for my colleague. Would you agree that there was a lot going on in 2022 in the data protection world? I would agree with that assessment. Um, In March 2022, the International Data Transfer Agreement came into force, um, which is an agreement that covers situations where UK-based organisations export personal data to third-party countries, such as the US, uh, and these countries are not covered by an adequacy decision. Um, Later in the year, we also witnessed updates that were made to transfer risk assessments, or TRAs. At the same time, new guidance on UK binding corporate rules, or UK BCRs, was also issued. In addition to that, we've also seen an increase in the number of cybersecurity and data breaches, and it's interesting to see the different types of enforcement used by the regulator. However, it seems the Data Protection and Digital Information Bill made the most headlines because of how it seeks to evolve the UK's data protection regime. We understand that the UK government wanted to apply an outcomes or risk-based approach to simplify the process, but we are still waiting for further details on what this will look like. Thank you very much. In today's podcast, we will discuss all these topics mentioned above and how they impact the UK data protection scene. What about 2023? Is there anything we can look forward to when it comes to data protection? Yes, there is. I hope you're all familiar with the phrase New Year, New Me, because as each year passes, there are more things to look forward to in your life. This mantra also applies to the data protection scene in the UK. That's true. In 2023, we're looking forward to data protection reforms, the regulation of AI, the development of the ever-popular metaverse, and the UK's adequacy status review. If you're interested in how your personal data is governed, I urge you to sit back, relax, and enjoy today's topics. So, Oscar, what is the first topic for discussion today? I think we should begin with how data is transferred internationally from the UK to third-party countries and multinational companies or enterprises, and the new guidance on binding corporate rules in the UK. In today's complex complex digital age, information travels from one border to the next border with ease. Therefore, digital footprints does not stay in one place. That's true. However, there are systems in the UK that regulate the transfer of data internationally. Some of you will already be familiar with these data protection systems that protect our personal data when they cross international borders. We are, of course, talking about the UK's adoption of the EU's General Data Protection Regulations, which are better known as the UK's GDPR. The UK's GDPR mandates that data can only be transferred outside the UK if the transfer is based on various transfer mechanisms. These include International Data Transfer Agreements, also known as IDTAs, and UK Binding Corporate Rules, also known as UK BCRs. Most organisations in the UK deal with international data transfer requests to third-party countries and multinational companies. Most of these requests will not be covered by an adequacy decision. As a result, it is important for them, for organisations in the UK to abide by these transfer mechanisms to avoid risk involved in international transfer of personal data outside the UK's borders. To understand the implementation of international data transfer agreements, we must first consider the safeguards that were in place before Brexit. Prior to Brexit, UK organisations had to rely on the EU's Standard Contractual Clauses, or SCCs. SECs aided data transfers from EU member states to non-EU countries. 
and ensured that there were safeguards in place to protect data being transferred to third-party countries. With the UK's departure from the EU, and following the judgment in the Schrems II case, changes made to the SCC regime by the European Commission no longer applied to the UK. These new changes mean that the old SCC regime adopted by the UK is outdated. As a result, the UK introduced the International Data Transfer Agreement, the IDTA as we've mentioned before, a new addendum to the EU's standard contractual clauses was also adopted in order to aid the international transfer of data outside the UK. In practice, the introduction of IDTAs provides safeguards for UK organisations handling international data transfer to third-party countries. UK organisations must now rely on the use of IDTAs or the new addendum to the EU's new SCC to deal with the international transfer of data to third-party countries. When using an IDT, the agreement will be a standalone document that can complement a data sharing agreement which allows for the transfer of data between the sender and the recipient of this personal data. In addition, the UK addendum was implemented to be used alongside the EU's SCC. It can also be used when international transfer of data is subject to both UK and EU data protection laws. Organisations must make sure that these documents are signed before the transfer of any personal data to third-party countries to ensure that adequate safeguards are in place. In addition to all of this, UK organisations will be required to undertake a Transfer Risk Assessment, the TRA, which is a requirement under the UK's GDPR. On the 17th of November 2022, the ICO updated the guidance on TRAs. The TRAs exist to make sure that data subjects who are affected by the cross-border transfer of data receive the necessary level of protection under UK data protection laws. Is there anything that organisations should be doing in light of the IDTA and the UK addendum? Yes, I think so, and thank you for the question. Yes, it is important for organisations to conduct an audit to check where they may have data flows, which would be international transfer of data. This means that organisations can better understand what data protection mechanisms they need in place to remain compliant with the UK data protection legislation. Organisations also need to conduct a TRA to make sure decisions on what the appropriate transfer mechanisms, whether it be an IDTA or UK addendum, is used when dealing with the transfer of data to third-party countries. Do you know of any other transfer mechanisms in place to deal with the international transfer of data? Um, the UK's binding corporate rules, or the UK's BCRs, also deal with the transfer of data, but they deal with transfers within multinational companies or groups of enterprises. The UK's BCRs are legally binding and enforceable internal rules or policies, which can be used by UK-based controllers or processors to transfer data to non-UK-based controllers within multinational companies or groups of enterprises. I've got a question. Do UK BCRs differ from IDTAs, or can they be used simultaneously to do the same thing? Well, one can argue that BCRs focus on data transfer within the multinational companies or groups of enterprises, usually that are involved in joint economic activities such as franchises, joint ventures or professional partnerships. So it seems it's more suitable for UK companies to rely on BCRs when dealing with data transfers that involve multinational companies. In contrast, the IDTA deals with personal data that's transferred from the UK to third-party countries, such as the USA. Furthermore, UK BCRs were considered as the gold standard because they had to be approved by a regulator. So if it's considered to be the gold standard, why has the ICO issued new guidance and rules when it comes to BCRs? 
There could be many reasons for these changes. Historically, the process of UK BCRs has been costly and time-consuming. Therefore, simplifying the process seeks to benefit multinational companies when using UK BCRs. So what's changed? Some of the fundamental changes include the simplification of application forms, modification of approval processes through the revision of a referential table. Consequently, under the new ICO guidance, a UK BCR will be shortened to include an application form plus a completed referential table, a binding instrument that makes UK BCRs enforceable both internally and externally by third-party data subjects. Lastly, a BCR policy document that will be made public available, publicly available to inform data subjects about how new UK BCR, BCR affects their data and rights. Both the IDTAs and the UK BCRs are evidence of the UK government's plan to simplify the process in handling personal data by adopting an outcomes or risk-based approach rather than a prescriptive process which had significant administrative burdens for organisations. Thank you. Following on from IDTAs and UK BCRs, we must also address the Data Protection and Digital Information Bill. This bill was introduced on 18 July 2022 and aims to update and simplify the UK's data protection regime after Brexit. Some of the legislation that will be amended under the bill include the UK GDPR, the Data Protection Act of 2018, the Privacy and Electronic Communications Regulations from 2023. While the bill proposes major changes, it is important to note it will build on existing data protection legislation in the UK, such as our own GDPR legislation. So let's look at some of the proposals in the bill. One of the main proposals that made headlines is the amended definition of personal data. Before we consider the bill's proposal, do you want to just give us a brief explanation of what personal data is? It's no problem. Just like its name, personal data is information that relates to an identifiable individual. In other words, it is information that specifically relates to the data subject. It may include your name, number and IP address. Therefore, if it is possible for a controller or a processor of personal data to identify such individual from the information, even in instances where there's an absence of a name, they're handling information that is considered personal data. Yes, the new proposals in the bill seek to amend the definition of personal data. By limiting this previous definition to focus on the knowledge of the controller or processor, and therefore under the new bill, if information is identifiable by a controller or processor by reasonable means at the time of processing, it will constitute personal data. Another consideration is that if the controller or processor ought to have known that another person will likely obtain the information because they were processing it, and that the individual will most likely be identified by that person using reasonable means at the time of processing. Yes, the new proposals in the bill seek to amend the definition of personal data by limiting the previous definition to focusing on the knowledge of the controller or processor, and therefore under the new bill, if information is identifiable by a controller or processor by reasonable means at the time of processing, it will constitute personal data. Another consideration the new definition takes into account is whether the controller or processor ought to have known that another person will likely obtain the information because they were processing it, and that the individual will most likely be identified by that person by reasonable means at the time of processing. Does this mean the responsibility of protecting my data or your data is solely in the hands of the controller or the processor of personal data? Yes, it does. 
The burden to protect the personal data will rely on the controller or processor and the persons who are likely to receive the information rather than anyone in the world. What about data subject access requests? Does the bill make any proposals? And if so, how do these proposals affect organizations that deal with such requests? That's a good question. And before I answer that, let us just quickly refresh our memories on data subject access requests or DSAs. Under UK data protection law, individuals have the right to access their personal data that organizations hold about them. However, complying with these requests can be a very complex and burdensome task. As a result, the bill wants to bring changes to data subject access requests by changing the threshold for either charging a reasonable fee or refusing to comply with the request. It aims to change the threshold from manifestly unfounded or excessive to vexatious and excessive. Can you please explain what vexatious means? The concept of vexatious and excessive is not a new one in the UK. For instance, one can find traces of this concept in the Freedom of Information Act. According to the ICO, whether a request is vexatious or not will ultimately depend on the circumstances surrounding that request. In the context of DSARS, organisations will have to determine whether the vexatious threshold is satisfied. Another interesting proposal in the bill surrounds the use of automated decision making. The main issue that was posed was the extent to which human oversight is needed when artificial intelligence makes an automated decision. Under the current data protection laws, we all have a right not to be subject to a decision based solely on automated processing. However, it seems you're not always clear on what this means. Therefore, the new bill will seek to amend existing provisions and include a right to human intervention. When an automated decision-making system uses personal data to make a decision. However, this right to human oversight will only apply to significant decisions rather than decisions that produce legal or other similar effects. While the bill makes bold proposals, the enforcement of such proposals will be key. Without adequate enforcement protocols, such proposals will not be effective. The bill recognises this and will give power to the ICO to question either a controller or a processor of data when there's been a breach of data protection law. So we've now reviewed the data protection developments from 2022. However, do we know what's in store for 2023 for the data protection landscape? It can be difficult to decipher how the data protection scene will look like in 2023. However, there are some key topics that will likely make headlines this year. One of the most exciting headlines will be the development of the metaverse and the regulation of artificial intelligence. Our webinar issued November 2022 touches upon these topics. I often hear a lot about the metaverse, but can you explain what it means? Yes, so the metaverse can be described in various ways. But in general terms, it is a set of digital spaces or virtual spaces that seeks to transform human social connection by allowing individuals to connect with one another, even if they're not physically in the same place. It allows users to communicate with each other in a virtual world through their created avatars and virtual reality glasses. However, there's more to the metaverse. The metaverse aims to be more than just a set of digital spaces. The metaverse also wants to incorporate elements of our real, our real and physical world in this virtual space. For instance, in the metaverse, you can work, shop, learn and connect with others as you would in real life. The development of the metaverse and the constant evolution of artificial intelligence will trigger regulation and data protection laws in such areas. We've already seen this through the government's AI regulation policy paper, 
which considers six AI governance principles. It seems like the UK government's approach has been to make inquiries of regulators in the AI space, and then use their answers to explain and implement principles that will aid how the UK regulates AI going forward. Some of these principles are as follows. Ensuring the safe use of AI through a context-based approach when assessing the risk involved in the use of AI. Making the use of AI fair or embedding considerations of fairness into AI to minimize the likelihood of AI bias in sectors like employment. Ensuring there is accountability for the outcomes of AI systems by making sure there is an identifiable legal person. To ensure these principles in the policy paper action, the government has identified the following bodies as regulators, the ICO, the Competition and Markets Authority, also known as the CMA, Ofcom, Medicine and Healthcare Regulatory Authority, also known as MHRA, and the Equality and Human Rights Commission. For businesses to rely on the use of AI, it is vital to identify who is responsible for AI governance and strategy within the organization. This allows them to review AI strategy within the organizations. Most importantly, this will help businesses review the proposed principles and see how they can help ensure the effective use of AI in the UK. In regard to the metaverse, AI plays a crucial role in this development. As a result, if the government can ensure a safe regulatory regime for artificial intelligence, we can see a further acceleration in the development of the metaverse in employment, real estate and several other sectors. I read recently that you're allowed to buy real estate in the metaverse. This is true. Yes, indeed. You can purchase virtual real estate in the metaverse. This would be a programmable space where people can connect to buy, sell or render virtual properties using the metaverse tokens or cryptocurrency. The process will also mirror real life formalities involved in purchasing real estate. One of the main ones being a virtual title number that proves ownership. However, we are still in the early stages of the metaverse and we are anticipating that there will be new jurisdiction-specific rules in relation to the data and how this data is processed and transferred in the metaverse. All this talk of AI and the metaverse are great examples of the constant evolution of technology. For the UK to benefit from this, it's clear we'll need data protection reform in these areas. However, a consistent approach will need to be taken by regulators and business to ensure that such data reforms have high standards and comply with the EU's data protection regime. This is particularly important as the EU continues to monitor the UK to check whether it can maintain its adequacy status. Can you briefly explain what an adequacy status is? Well, this is the level at which the EU deems the data protection provided by countries outside the Union to be essentially equivalent to the protection provided by the EU. As a result, any reform made by the UK will be closely reviewed by the EU ahead of their 2025 review. If the UK data protection regime deviates significantly from the EU data protection regime, there is a risk of this impacting on the UK's adequacy status, and this will therefore impact whether the safeguards the UK has in place are sufficient to protect personal data. Overall, it looks to be an interesting year for data protection developments, with potential significant changes to the UK data protection regime. If you need any advice in relation to any of the points mentioned, please do not hesitate to contact a member of the data protection team who will be happy to assist. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this podcast.